In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. This past Monday, I drove to Memphis, and after much angst on 40, went to our district office in Cordova, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For those of you who don't know, I'm a circuit visitor, which means that I oversee uh, congregations that are from Little Rock all the way down to Hot Springs. Uh, I'm given to look over, see what's going on, see if there's any problems, any issues, and so forth. And so when you go to Memphis, you go to the district office and you meet with all of the other circuit visitors. Church meetings are where joy goes to die, I said. And there was some pretty drastic information that was shared with us. There was a survey done back in 2008 of a very large population in the United States asking people about their religious preferences. And they came up in this survey with a new group of people who responded. They were called the nuns. That's not the ladies in the Catholic Church that wear the funny hats. N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. And these are categorized as atheists, agnostic, or nothing in particular. Maybe not religiously unaffiliated. That is how they were viewed. That is how they're categorized. This survey was done in 2008, and we received a map of the percentage of nuns in each state. Us being in the Bible Belt, in Arkansas, where there are so many Christians, 24% of the population describe themselves as nuns in Arkansas. 24%. Now, you might look at California, New York, some of these other places, they were obviously very high as well in the low 40s. But then this survey was done in 2022. And Arkansas jumped from 24% to 38%. The lowest state? North Dakota. 17%. I mean, who lives in North Dakota, right? Yeah. You have to have religion there with that snow, I guess. But... It's shocking, 38% in this state. 14 years ago, that was the number that you saw on the saltwater states. What does this tell us about the state of the church and the state of society? You're in the Bible Belt. At least that's what most people refer it to. You're in what most people call conservative flyover country. And yet, 38% in this poll said that they had no religious affiliation. Atheist, agnostic, really want nothing to do with this place. They didn't give a reason why, but I think I can tell you today why. You've heard the old statement, you will reap what you sow. And our American culture today is proof of that. Sow the seeds of selfishness, you're going to get a bunch of selfish people. Sow the seeds of promiscuity, you're going to have people being promiscuous. Sow the seeds of all disregard of life, whether unborn or aged, 
You're going to have people who disregard life. Sow the seeds of immersing people in their phone and social media and all sorts of technology. Sow the seeds of being detached from everybody else, being offended and not being able to have a discussion or maybe even a friendly debate. And everybody else can get lost. The world revolves around me. You reap what you sow. And I would dare say that we are reaping a lot of what came before us and what we have continued on even today. The fruit never falls far from the tree. The survey tells us that churches are not in high demand these days. And so, of course, the church turns around and says, What do we do? How do we fix this? What do we need to change or shake up to make something better for those people? But if you go back to what I just said about society, it's pretty much impossible. It pretty much seems like a lost cause. But churches still try to do this anyways. We need to be more friendly. We need to be more affirming, diverse, cross-cultural. We need to have better coffee more technology, more programs and activities. We need to reduce the gospel so it's not so offensive. We had no joke. We had a gentleman who called the church this week and asked Monica if he could have his basketball team practice in our facility. And he told us, if you allow us this, I will join the church. Go find another place. I know that doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair, but this is what people are looking for. And I would dare say that this is the result, many ways, of the last 100 years, especially us in America. Where has this gotten us? It's gotten us even in the church with a lot of lack of trust and discontentment. But in the midst of all of this, as we gather here today and ask, what are we going to do about this? What's happening? It's all seeming to fall apart and caving in. God is telling us today as well to be on guard with how you practice this Christianity and what we believe and teach and confess in this place. Because he tells us through Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, from his flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. We as circuit visitors kind of looked at each other and said, the future doesn't look good. And yet we've also heard in various churches throughout our district and even in the synod today that so many pastors struggle themselves with how to lead the church, with how to be gaining traction in their own spiritual life of prayer and devotion. So many pastors talk today that they feel more like an activities director than a shepherd of God's people. So, what do we do? The question really needs to be brought before you today and for me, is this place a priority? Is this place the center of your life? Is everything that you hear and receive 
molding and shaping what you do out there in the various vocations that God has given to you? How is your life of prayer? How is your life of devotion? How is your thoughts when you how are your thoughts when you come into this place into the presence of God? Now I'm not looking for outward show and hey everything is great pastor and all of those other things but really in the midst of all of these things that we have become so saturated with and myself included where does this stand in the grand scheme of things? Is this place the center of your life? Is this Christian faith, the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation, the pinnacle of why you exist? This is not me picking on you all. I'm just as guilty with this as well. It's not as if I live in a giant bubble going out there with my hands folded and my Bible always in front of me. Temptations are real. They're real. And the devil is prowling around you like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour. And he has been very, very, very eager to come after you. Not the people out there, you. Luther says that when you come out of the baptismal waters, the devil paints a huge target on you because he despises and hates you, and he wishes to shoot his flaming arrows at you. It's tough. It's tough to have everything out there, but then it's tough even to wrestle with all of the temptations of the devil. And then you have your own worst enemy, which is you and me. So what do we do? I think we can take heart with these passages here today. I know I do as a pastor. Jesus speaks to a very large crowd today, and he speaks about this parable. But if you go on a little bit further, that crowd begins to fall away. He starts to tell them about things that this wasn't really what we signed up for. His disciples sit there and say, See, we have left everything. What are we going to get out of this, Jesus? What are you going to do for us? Hey, let us sit on your left and your right because we're your chosen disciples. Very large crowd today, but by the time Good Friday happens, it's a very small crowd. That should give us some comfort. Doesn't mean that we need to just carry on with the status quo. But it also doesn't mean that today is all about being depressed and hopeless for the life of the church. Today is a day really where we can find great hope. Because we're told very bluntly that the church is not about you or me trying to make these things better or bigger or whatever else. It is about the Word of God, and as we heard from Isaiah today, His Word does what He wants it to do. As the rain and snow fall down, so will my Word be that goes forth from me. What a wonderful object lesson today. It's raining, and it's raining, and it's raining. Everything is getting wet. 
But Luther says it this way as well. The gospel is like a passing rain shower. There are those that when it rains, they love it, they rejoice over it, they rejoice over the fact that it's going to water the earth and cause things to grow and sprout. And then there are those who look at this and say, it's raining again. He says, the gospel's a passing rain shower. You can appreciate it when it's in your midst, but it's going to move on. It's going to move on to other places where maybe it is more well-received and appreciated. The church in our country is dying. The church is virtually dead in Europe. But if you go to Africa, you go to the places in Asia where people are persecuted, it is flourishing and growing. The gospel is raining down far and wide in those places. And in some sense, which is really kind of a sad commentary, the Africans are coming to this country to rebuild the church. So what do we do? We take comfort that there are those who are coming and looking at us and saying, we want to share with you the passing rain shower of the gospel that we too have received. When I taught at the seminary in South Sudan, the bishop of the South Sudanese Lutheran Church would look at the people and the pastors and he would say, pray for these white Americans. Pray for their people because they have the hardest mission field in the world. Everybody wants to be entertained. Everybody loves things with batteries. Everybody is only concerned about themselves. But the Lord continues to shower his word down amongst you and me. And it accomplishes and prospers all that it is sent to do. Today, yes, it's down and dreary. It seems depressing. It seems like it's hopeless. What's even the point of trying to do all of this? But if we focus on the fact that God is still at work even when things seem like a huge waste of time, then yeah, we can get depressed. But if this is reliant on him and his word, which goes out to every little nook and cranny for every person throughout this world, then it is great comfort that he takes the lead. Go back to Jesus. Look at who he came into contact with his earthly ministry. He didn't just sit there and say, hey, go throw a few passages there and there and hopefully it'll stick. Jesus immersed himself into the lives of people who seemed really hopeless. Fraudulent tax collectors, people in the IRS, prostitutes, reprobates, people who were seen as the dirtbags of society, who were bowed down into the dust with their shame and their guilt and their sin. That's who he would immerse himself around. And by the Holy Spirit, through the spoken word of Jesus, sinful hearts were turned into faithful hearts, forgiven hearts, hearing the words of eternal life, bearing fruit with patience. God does the work. His word never fails. It accomplishes all that he purposes for all the time. And what is that word? 
We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly, a waste of time to the Gentiles. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God to salvation. The Father sends His Son for you. The Son is crucified. He is buried and planted into the ground on that Good Friday, all with you in mind. So that there may be an abundance of harvest and salvation and that there would be great fruits found amongst us in that Easter victorious proclamation. Christ is risen. good all year round. What more do you need? He's conquered your death. He's forgiven you of all of your sins. Come hell or high water or unbelief or the total destruction of our society, His word will go out. And it's in your midst as well. All to be proclaimed over and over and over again. We heard something similar like this last Sunday, Pastor. Yes, but what did you get immersed with in this past week? What did I find to be the pinnacle of my life this past week? The Word is in your midst. But it's hard. And I'm not going to lie about it. It's hard and it's difficult for the church. Oftentimes as a pastor, I'm sure many other pastors would talk this way. Pastor Walter even talked to me about this at length sometime before he left us. He said, it's terribly difficult to come out of the service. And I would agree. Most of you probably know that pastors nap on Sunday afternoon. Do you know why? Because many of us feel like we have failed. We feel like our sermons have been bombs and the devil will ravage our conscience. You didn't do enough. You didn't say the right thing. You made these people upset. Who do you think you are? It's tough. I'm not going to deny it, but don't feel sad for me. Because the same thing happens to you as well. When you come into this place, the devil ravages us and tries to draw us away from Christ. And as the sermon bombs at times, which it can, you have the word in your midst, the liturgy. We're learning about that right now on Sunday morning Bible class. The liturgy is the word of God in your midst being heard and spoken and sung back to God. The sacrament of God's body and blood through Jesus Christ by His Word is in your midst. You are still being fed. I am still being fed. Whether it seems like this is a rousing success or an utter, utter colossal waste of time. Because God's Word is at work in you and me. Today is not about what kind of soil you are because 75% of these soils fail, caught up by all the things of the world. And then there's that good soil today that we heard about. But how do you get the good soil? You know anything about gardening? You know anything about planting? You can only have good soil through tilling. 
and breaking up. Good soil must be broken down, ravagely destroyed and broken up. If you are going to have good soil, the law must kill you. The law must tell you that you and I have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We deserve nothing but hell and condemnation. And as that law breaks us down, the gospel is planted in us to bear much fruit. God must kill in order to make us alive. So in the end, no matter what we face in our lives, in this world, in this church, God has placed you and me at this specific time. I want you to remember that. A lot of us pastors looked at each other this past week and said, this is such a weird time to be alive. But God is not a God of random chances. He's a God of order. And he's a God who has placed you and me at this place, in this time, in this community, in this world, for his specific purpose. You may not know it. You may not understand it. You may look back and say, oh, I wish it was 50 years ago when things are more simple. God says, no, I want you right here, right now. And he promises that as we go out, his word will be at work no matter how dark or impossible it seems. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. And so we end the bleak future that I presented to you here today with the great hope that God and his precious word is the center of this life, this church. And as Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul puts it this way. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as the lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. The word is in your midst. Alleluia, Christ to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.